If you like what you hear on this episode, you're going to want to come check out my new podcast called the Unfuck Your Brain Podcast. What you're listening to right now, The Lawyer's Stress Solution, has ceased production of new episodes. But Unfuck Your Brain is rocking and rolling. Every week, I release a new episode of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, teaching you the same great tools for taming your brain, but with even more applications to other areas of your life. You can search for it by name. Remember, there's an asterisk instead of the U in unfuck because we like to be polite. Or just click the link to it in the podcast description for this show. I'll see you over there. You're listening to The Lawyer Stress Solution, the only podcast that teaches you cognitive science-based techniques specifically created for lawyers. Learn how to manage your lawyer brain and conquer the stress, anxiety, and overwhelm of lawyer life. Here's your host, former lawyer and certified master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. So in past episodes, I've been talking about different forms of lawyer stress, right? Different things that produce lawyer stress and how to deal with it. And I'm totally going to keep talking about that because there's plenty for more than a few episodes. But today I want to take a step back and talk a little bit about why lawyers are so anxious. What are the causes of lawyer anxiety? Now you may think, what do I need to know the cause for, right? I'm anxious. That's what matters. I just want to solve it. That's sort of true and sort of not. It is true that focusing on practical solutions is really what I do and what I do with my clients and what I want you to focus on learning how to change your thinking. But it's also really helpful to understand why you think this way. Because a lot of my clients come to me and on top of feeling anxious or kind of low-level depressed even sometimes, they also have a lot of confusion and shame about why they are this way. You know, they think that their brains are broken or that there's something wrong with them or that it's inherent or internal in some way that they can't fix. And the truth is, none of that is true. There's a really specific set of reasons that lawyers are so anxious. So today I want to explain those to you. And the takeaway from all of this is that the more you understand why your brain works the way it does, the easier it is to change it. So I'm not the only person, obviously, who knows that lawyers suffer higher rates of anxiety, stress, pessimism, even substance abuse, right? We hear about it all the time. Every few years, a study comes out, you know, some bar jurisdictions even mandate CLEs on substance abuse now. It's a commonly known issue. And there are a couple of conventional explanations for this. Neither of these are wrong in my mind. They're just not the whole story, but they do matter. So number one is that lawyers deal with everything that has gone wrong in people's lives, right? Bankruptcy, divorce, criminal charges, injuries, discrimination, Even when you're doing corporate law, the stakes are very high for your clients, right? Deals can make or break a business. So a lot of it is just being exposed to traumatic stuff, right? This is sort of what I call the vicarious trauma explanation, that as a lawyer, you're constantly being consulted when people are having the worst time of their lives, basically. And the second conventional explanation is that lawyers are dealing with an industry that has particularly stressful conditions that there's high workloads, there's high demands, right? If you're in a firm, it's client-oriented, it's a service-based business, people are paying an enormous amount of money usually, and they want 
an enormous amount of work for that amount of money, right? And if you're in a nonprofit, you're often understaffed and underfunded and you're working on some issue that you really care a lot about and there's not enough people or money to go around. So that is also stressful. So the idea is that the way the legal profession is structured really contributes to the amount of stress lawyers experience. So I think both of those are true, but they don't really explain the problem, right? I think that both of them do create situations in which it's easier for your brain to run wild, right? And they are bigger challenges or bigger triggers sometimes. But nevertheless, they don't explain it all, which partly we know because there are some lawyers who aren't stressed out all the time, right? We've all met at least one or two. So it's not just the external conditions. The reason that most lawyers are stressed out, in my experience, is not that they're all working in the same stressful job which is, I think, what most of us think. We look around and we're like, well, I'm stressed out, but so is everybody else around me. This is obviously just what it's like to be a lawyer. And I don't think that's right. I think that's a conflation. It's like conflating the correlation for the cause. I think the reason that most lawyers around you are stressed out is that we all have lawyer brains. So in my work, what I've discovered is that the real problem for lawyer stress is the way that lawyers are trained to think in very specific ways. And these specific ways can get out of control and create unnecessary stress and anxiety. And that's what I call lawyer brain. So lawyer brain is the specific ways of thinking that your brain has been trained to do as a lawyer for your work that have started to sort of run rampant and grow like weeds and just become your default way of thinking about everything. So if you've ever been told you're thinking or talking or arguing like a lawyer, Lord knows I have, right? That's what I'm talking about. When I say lawyer brain, most lawyers nod. We all have an intuitive sense of what that means. We all know we were trained to think in a very specific way that non-lawyers don't think and don't understand. But it's useful to really break down what creates lawyer brain, what sustains it, and what its effects are. I think the first part of lawyer brain happens even before you go to law school. You know, people who are drawn to pursue law, I think, tend to be people who are risk averse, who are already predisposed to be perfectionists and to have anxiety. You know, I think to a lot of us before law school, law seemed like the kind of area where there'd be rules and right answers, right? It's like, we didn't choose business school. We didn't want to take risks. We didn't want to have to network a lot, right? A lot of us are more introverted. You know, we went to law school because we just thought, okay, I'm analytical. I'm smart. There are going to be rules to follow. I'm going to know something other people don't know. And I'm going to be able to kind of understand what's happening and, and make a difference. But where lawyer brain really kicks in is during law school, because the entire approach of law school is aimed at creating lawyer brain. So number one, everything you read is about everything that can possibly go wrong in life. So this relates a little bit to the conventional explanation number one I mentioned earlier about vicarious trauma, right? You get into law school, you don't really have any preparation for this, and suddenly you're reading about people getting divorced, people getting raped, people getting murdered. Even tort law is just what are all the things that could go wrong and who's to blame when the toaster explodes, right? This guy's got a spike through his head. Who's to blame for that? This farm is burned down, right? Even contracts is like what are all the ways this contract could go wrong? Who's going to be blamed if a storm takes out the cargo at sea? So normally this sort of being exposed to terrible things story is used to explain that why lawyers are stressed out, the idea being that it's just stressful to hear about this stuff. But I don't actually think that's the biggest issue. I think the biggest issue is that being surrounded by stories and cases about everything that has gone wrong 
trains your brain to overestimate the likelihood of terrible things happening. Right? We know from the psychological literature that humans are very, very bad at estimating the likelihood of disasters. So when a disaster has not happened recently and is far from memory, humans tend to underestimate the chance it will happen. But when a disaster has happened recently, like if there's been a recent hurricane or a recent terrorist attack, humans are likely to way overestimate the likelihood of it happening to them. So you spend three years studying all the ways lives can go wrong, and you start to unconsciously overestimate the possibility of all of that stuff happening around you all the time. The second one is that law school drills into you the idea that the stakes are enormously high and that any mistake can be a disaster, right? If you miss a case, that's malpractice. If you commingle funds, you'll get disbarred. There's this extreme emphasis on professional responsibility, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. There are, you know, lawyers do have particular responsibilities to their clients, but the way that it is sort of obsessively fixated on in law school, I think easily mutates in people who are already perfectionistic and anxious, and it just causes such enormous anxiety, right? I have so many clients who are just terrified of ever making a mistake, and that's actually something I'll talk about separately in a whole podcast because I think it's so important. So that'll be coming up soon. But for right now, just the idea that any mistake equals disaster, right? Law school really, really drills that into your brain and it creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and a lot of always scanning for the possibility of a mistake. The third issue I think is a Socratic method, right? Which most of us experienced, although it's possible some of the younger lawyers listening to this did not experience, but it's when you're cold called in the classroom, right? So you start your one all year, everybody's to do the reading, then you come to class and you're going to get called on and have to answer questions and you don't know when you'll get called on. When you combine that with risk-averse perfectionists, right, the kind of people who tend to go to law school, what you get is just anxiety overload about public humiliation, right, about not knowing the answer. Lawyers are terrified of not knowing the answer, which really kind of teams up with the fear of mistakes, right? If it's not okay to make a mistake and it's not okay to not know the answer, then what's the result? You have to be perfect and always know the answer and always be right. And that's perfectionism, which we talked about in the last podcast. So we know how debilitating that can be. The fourth thing I think is an issue is that you're funneled mostly into a couple of career tracks where you're competing with everyone around you, supposedly. You're supposedly competing. I think this automatically creates a kind of scarcity mentality. I remember personally being really surprised. I went to Harvard for law school. And when you go to a school like that, one of the kind of pitches or one of the benefits is supposed to be that you're going to be surrounded by like the best and brightest of your generation, people who have done amazing, interesting things. And then we got to law school and it was like we were basically told not to bring any of our real world experience or values into the classroom. And we weren't really encouraged to think outside of the box about what to do with our legal careers. Now, some of this may have changed. I was in law school a decade ago. But I remember being really struck by it. And you see it in what happens to an incoming class, right? That people come in wanting to do all sorts of different things. And then one L summer comes around and everybody's like, well, I guess I should try out for law review. And then two L summer comes around and everybody's like, well, I guess I should do on-campus interviewing. You know, I didn't do on-campus interviewing. and I was one of very few students who didn't. So you start to get these blinders on that there's only a few jobs you can have right? It's like you can work at a big firm or you can be an impact litigator at a big nonprofit. (laughs) It was like those were like the two options that we were sort of presented with. And so when you're trying to funnel all these people into only one or one to three job tracks, really, 
right? You're creating the sense of competition, especially when you factor in things like making law review or clerking for a judge. You know, all of those kinds of status markers are so hierarchical and they're limited. And so you set up a situation where you very quickly absorb the scarcity mentality that there's not enough to go around and that everybody else is your competition. And what I find really interesting is that most of my clients are not, they're not stressed out about the idea that other people are competing with them in the sense of like, someone's coming to get me and I, you know, need to do better than them. But what I see is that they actually feel like everybody else knows what they're doing and that they're the only ones who don't. So they do see themselves as sort of in competition or in comparison with everyone around them, but they assume that everyone around them knows what they're doing and is sort of accomplished and earned their accomplishments. And then for themselves, they feel like they didn't, which is what's called imposter syndrome. Some of you may have heard of, and I'll be doing a separate podcast about that at a later date. But to summarize, it's the idea that you are funneled into one of only a few sort of potential outcomes that you are shown or encouraged to see for your legal career. And that creates a real sense of scarcity, not enough to go around and comparing yourself to other people constantly. And then the fifth and kind of final thing I'll say is that, you know, the actual lawyer skills that you're learning require learning to think in ways that are actually associated with pessimism as a personality trait in people who haven't been trained to think that way. But they're emphasized in your legal career, Right. So thinking about the worst case scenario, looking for what's wrong in any situation, imagining what could happen if, you know, things don't go perfectly, comparing yourself to other people, right? Being terrified of mistakes. All of those characteristics are associated with anxiety and depression, not surprisingly. But you're taught that those are good things to use for your legal career. And in some ways they are, but no one teaches you how to rein it in. So these neural pathways get created, and then they just get more and more entrenched as you keep thinking this way. So when you take those kind of five factors together, what you create are three main forms of lawyer brain that you're taught to use in law school and that you continue using in your practice. And I've either spoken about these already in separate podcasts or will be speaking about them in the future. So I'm not going to go in depth into each one, but I want you to see how the what happens in law school and the way your brain is trained flows into these modes of thinking that you use all the time. So the first one is catastrophizing, right? You're taught to always think about what could go wrong. The second one is trouble spotting. You're taught to always be looking for what seems out of place or is inconsistent, which is, you know, like essentially a great way to develop a paranoid personality disorder, right? And then three, adversarialness, you're taught to treat all interactions and conversations as an adversarial process that one person has to win, right? And this makes you feel constantly opposed to and in conflict with everyone else. It's a lot of my clients will just sort of casually talk about other people they work with or opposing counsel being like out to get them or coming at them, right? These kinds of conspiracy or fight-based metaphors. So catastrophizing, trouble spotting, and adversarialness are all these sorts of ways of thinking and modes of analyzing that you do need to be a lawyer. But if you aren't taught how to shut them down, they just take over. And they all grow out of and are encouraged by the ways that you are sort of taught to think in law school. So the point of all this is not to make you feel overwhelmed, <laughs> right? It's not to say, now we've trained your brain this way and it can never be undone, because that's absolutely not the case. Like, I deprogrammed my brain and I deprogrammed my clients' brains. Right? It's like cult deprogramming. 
you do need these skills to do your legal work. The trick is learning how to recognize when you're doing it so that you actually know that you're applying a skill, you're applying a tool, and you cannot apply it when you don't want to, right? When you don't know how to do that, it's basically like your lawyer brain. It's like having a hammer attached to your hand with duct tape. So like anything you touch with your hand, you smash with a hammer, right? Because you don't know how to like use the tool and then put it down, right? All you know is how to hit everything with a hammer. That's the whole, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, that kind of idea. Whereas if you learn how to manage and control your brain, then you can switch on these ways of thinking when you need them, right? Absolutely. When you are drafting a contract, I want you to think about what are all the ways this could go wrong so I can protect my client, right? You want to be able to turn it on. But you also want to be able to turn it off when you go home so that if your kid wants to go on a camping trip, you are not constantly thinking about everything that could go wrong and how they might get eaten by bears, right? You want to learn to turn it on and turn it off. So understanding where your lawyer brain comes from is so helpful for a lot of my clients in seeing that this isn't natural. These thoughts aren't real, right? By which I mean, humans normally assume that if we have a thought, it's because it's like an objective, you know, reflection of reality, Understanding that your lawyer brain is shaped by all the stuff that goes on in law school and in your practice helps you learn to disassociate a little bit from your thoughts, get a little, not in the clinical sense, but get a little distance from them and see like, oh, the fact that I'm thinking this way doesn't mean that these are rational risk assessments I'm making when I worry about my kid getting eaten by a bear, right? It just means that my lawyer brain is running out of control and I haven't yet learned how to turn it on when I need it and turn it off when I don't. So there's nothing wrong with you for thinking this way. This is how your brain has been trained to think, and it can be undone. I know it can. I've done it for myself, and I've done it for my clients. And just knowing that should give you a little bit of relief, right? There's nothing inherent or natural or kind of required about all the stress and anxiety you have. They can be changed. It's just a product of the way you're thinking, and learning to see and remember where all of that comes from, right, will really help you see that it doesn't always have to be this way. So if you want to learn to practice this a little bit, I encourage you to download the free guide on my website. It's like an exercise worksheet, doesn't take that long, and it'll take you through learning to interact with and engage with your lawyer brain to reduce some of your anxiety particularly it focuses on catastrophizing, which I've talked a lot about in these podcasts, always imagining the worst case outcome. So it's easy to grab. You just go to www.thelawyerstresssolution forward slash guide. Again, it's just the name of the podcast, www.thelawyerstresssolution.com forward slash guide. So download it, give it a try, and keep an eye on that lawyer brain of yours. I'll be back soon. If this episode really spoke to you, I want you to consider coming to check out The Clutch because that is where I can truly dive in and teach you all of the tools I know to help deal with anxiety, fear, numbing and buffering and more. You will get daily expert coaching on anything you're struggling with, plus a community of women who are going through the exact things that you are facing. And once you've learned how to coach yourself, we have a whole bunch of bonus workbooks to help you with things like managing anxiety and stress at work, learning how to stop numbing out, dealing with dating stress, body image, all the things that can create a lot of anxiety and negative emotion for us. I want you to imagine a life where you don't feel anxious all the time. And when you do feel anxious, it's rare 
and you know how to handle it and it's not that big of a deal. That is what my life has become and I know that it's possible for you too. So I want you to check out unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch or you can just text your email address to 347-934-8861 and we will send a link right to your phone so that you can get all the info and get started on learning how to get your negative emotions under control so that you can enjoy your life and not have your unmanaged mind running it into the ground. I'll see you there.